listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our scripture reading for today is Song of Songs, chapter 1, verses 1 through 16. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is perfume poured out. Therefore, the maidens love you. Draw me after you. Let us make haste. (laughs) The king has brought me into his chambers. We will exult and rejoice in you. We will extol your love for more than wine. Rightly do they love you. I am tan and beautiful, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not gaze at me because I am dark, because the sun has gazed on me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. Tell me, you whom my soul loves, where you pasture your flock, where you make it lie down at noon, Why should I be like one who is veiled beside the flocks of your companions? If you do not know, O fairest among women, follow the tracks of the flock and pasture your kids beside the shepherd's tents. I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are comely with ornaments, your neck with strings of jewels. We will make you ornaments of gold, studded with silver. While the king was on his couch, my nerd gave forth its fragrance. My beloved is to me a bag of myrrh that lies between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyards of Engadi. Ah, you are beautiful, my love. Ah, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves. Ah, you are beautiful, my beloved. Our bed is lush and green. (laughs) The word of God for the people of God. For them, Pam and Jim. Get a room, you two. That was was awesome. That was a very brave reading. You guys rock. And I loved all the giggles. Half of them were me, but... uh, um, So if you guys couldn't tell, we're starting a new series today. Um, (laughs) Ecclesiastes is over. Uh, We're in the season of Lent. Lent, uh, for anyone who's not familiar, is a 40-day period of uh, fasting and preparation leading up to Holy Week and Easter. It's a time of uh, repentance and self-denial. So naturally, we're talking about sex. Um, (laughs) Uh, We are in the midst of this year-long teaching focus, which we're calling A Year of Wisdom. Uh, where we are working our way through the wisdom tradition of the Bible. Uh, We've already covered Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Basically, you can think of this as like conventional wisdom and uh, sort of post-conventional wisdom. Uh, Proverbs is your do this, don't do that. It kind of works when life is going uh, normal. Ecclesiastes was very much wisdom for when life is not going according to plan. Uh, And now we're turning to Song of Songs, also known as Song of Solomon. 
uh, or what I've decided to call sexy wisdom, uh, much to the chagrin of about half of you, I'm guessing. Um, hmm. Song of Songs is a collection of ancient Jewish love poetry. Uh, these are erotic poems about love. Um, it is a celebration of romance and sexuality right in the middle of our Bibles. You just heard uh, the opening lines of this book. Um, it's two lovers talking about you know, their nard giving off fragrance. Um, and it gets, it gets way worse. Um, this is from Song of Songs, chapter 7. This is what we have to look forward to. How graceful are your feet in sandals, O queenly maiden. Your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a master hand. Your navel is a rounded bowl, may it never lack mixed wine. You are as stately as a palm tree, and your breasts are like clusters. I said I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its branches. Oh, may your breasts be like clusters of the vine and the scent of your breath like apples. Your kisses are like the best wine that goes down smoothly, gliding over lips and teeth. Right? Like, it's, it's steamy. Uh, it's steamy stuff. There's also this one, uh, another favorite, <laughs> from uh, chapters 4 and 5. Awake, O north wind, and come, O south wind, blow upon my garden, that its fragrance may be wafted abroad. Let my beloved come to his garden, that he may eat its choicest fruits. I come to my garden, my lover, my bride. I gather my myrrh with spice. I eat my honeycomb with my honey. I drink my wine with my milk. Eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love. Not bad, right? Like as, as, as 26-year-old or 2,600-year-old love poetry goes, uh, Song of Songs is not bad. It's, it's somewhere between like Shakespeare's sonnets on the one hand and those paperback novels from the grocery store with like Fabio on the front. Like it's somewhere, it's somewhere in that, um, that realm. Um, there's no narrative in this book. There is no story. Uh, it's just a collection of poetry describing two lovers, a man and a woman, who are together in a garden. They search for each other, they fantasize for each other. You can never really tell, are they together or are they dreaming? Um, and when they do seem to find each other, things get hot and heavy really quick. Um, now we're gonna spend six weeks in this book and I wanna give you all a few disclaimers right up front. I think it's important uh, giving, given the, the content. First, uh, for the parents in here, and grandparents, elementary kids are not going to be in the service for this series. They, won't, they will not be in the second half of the service. Normally, first Sundays of the month, we keep the kids in here so they can worship with the adults. We are not doing that in the month of March, so you don't have to worry about that. Um, I will say, though, I know we've got some older kids in here, uh, middle schoolers, high schoolers, I see you guys. Um, and for the parents, I'm going to leave this kind of up to you. Um, uh, you'll probably want to talk to your kids about some of this stuff, either before or after church. There's not going to be anything uh, more explicit in here than what you would hear in health class, um, but the little kids at least will not be in here. So my kids are fine. I have nothing to explain. Um, <laughs> yet, yeah, yeah, give, give us a few years. Um, second disclaimer, this one's important too. Um, this book portrays sex in very heteronormative terms. There's no way around it. Um, we're going to find that the Song of Songs was super progressive in many ways for its day, and it's still revolutionary in certain respects for us today. Um, but this book frames things in terms of a sexual relationship between a man 
and a woman. Uh, I'm going to do my best through this series to navigate this inclusively because I really believe that the wisdom of this book is for everyone, uh, gay, straight, or otherwise. Um, And I also want to acknowledge, too, um, along with this, that there are all sorts of reasons you might find this book uncomfortable and alienating. Uh, We have many folks in here who are widowed. We have a number of people in here who are unmarried, folks who are celibate. Uh, We have people who are divorced, asexual, involved in relationships where it's complicated, all across the spectrum. And so at first glance, you might look at this book and really feel like this is not for you. But Song of Songs is a book about love, first and foremost. It talks about themes like desire, uh, intimacy, passion, companionship. These are universal themes. They apply to all of us. We all need the wisdom of this book. Whether intimacy looks for you the way it is portrayed in this book or not, I really believe we can all benefit from the wisdom of this book. One last disclaimer. This is a tender topic for a lot of us. Um, I, I may joke, we might chuckle during a reading, but there's a lot of pain and a lot of trauma around sex and relationships. Uh, I'm going to do my best to navigate this super sensitively over these six weeks, um, but I'm not an expert on this stuff, and I own that. Um, so there are a couple things under this that I want you to be aware of up front. Um, first, we're not going to be getting in the weeds with anything too explicit uh, this week or next. Those readings from Song of Songs is about as bad as it should get for the next two Sundays. Um, the two weeks after that, though, are a different story. Uh, we are going to get into some stuff on March 12th and March 19th. You might want to circle these dates on your calendars. These are the two Sundays we're going to talk uh, a little bit more directly about sex, romantic love, intimacy. Um, if this is a sensitive topic for you, that's okay. Um, you might want to sit by the back of the sanctuary those weeks in case you need to make an exit. You might even, if this is a particularly sensitive area, you might want to worship from home those two Sundays just to be safe. And that is totally okay. Um, so those are, those are two dates to be aware of. Um, a third date to be aware of, though, and this is something I'm really excited about. Uh, on Tuesday, March 21st, so it's a Tuesday evening at 6.30 p.m., we're going to be hosting an event here at church with some folks from Agape Counseling Associates out in Penfield. Um, Agape is a faith-based counseling center that does all sorts of counseling, you know, youth, adults, couples, all sorts of things. But we're bringing in some people who specialize in working with folks um, who've survived sexual trauma and relational trauma. Um, They're going to be coming on that Tuesday night um, and uh, talking through themes connected to trauma. What is trauma? What does healing and the healing process look like? How can we support people who've been through this? It's going to be a really good conversation and something I think is so important to have safe space to talk about in church. Um, So if you have any interest in that at all, mark your calendars for Tuesday, March 21st. We good on all that? All right. Uh, with the disclaimers out of the way, let's actually start the sermon. Um, and, and let's start with maybe the most obvious question we're going to have reading Song of Songs. What on earth is this book doing in the Bible? Um, why is there a collection of erotic love poetry right smack in the middle of Scripture, like 20 pages from Psalms? Why is that in there? Um, we're not the first ones to ask this question, uh, by the way. Um, throughout history, there's been some discomfort with Song of Songs. Um, for most of church history, 
Christians have handled this book by spiritualizing it all. Um, Usually, uh, the church teaches that this book is a metaphor for God's love for God's people, for God's love for the church, for Jesus' love for us. And like, you can read the book that way if you want to, uh, but I think that interpretation completely falls apart if you actually read the words of this book. It gets really creepy really fast. Like, I don't want Jesus drinking wine out of my navel. That is not, that, <laughs> that would ruin Jesus for me. Not the Lord and Savior I'm looking for. Um, in some sects of medieval Judaism, so going, going even further back, women weren't allowed to read this book. Uh, and men couldn't read it unless they were married. And even then, married men could only read Song of Songs in groups with other men, which that would be a very interesting men's ministry, right? <laughs> if, if like at the rooster for wings, we like read Song of Songs. I think Alex Kearns, Kearns is up for it. <laughs> but... but um, not awkward at all. So we're not alone in our awkwardness and our hesitancy toward this book, Uh, but the situation is way worse for us because we are separated from Song of Songs, not just by the weirdness of the subject, but by centuries of cultural differences, social norms that have changed, language that has changed. We don't even get to experience this book in its original format. Like this might be, this might be obvious, but Song of Songs is a song, right? Like, this is, not, this is not a book. This was not written to be read in English. This is a song written to be sung, to be performed. It's, it's almost more like an opera. Uh, has anyone here ever been to an opera or heard opera music? Any of us familiar with opera a little bit? Okay. Um, I love opera personally. Um, back before we had kids, when Aaron and I had a life, um, we tried to go to the opera... <laughs> We try to go to the opera at least once every other year or so, so I'm a big fan of opera. And one of my favorite operas is Pagliacci. Pagliacci is a story of a sad clown. Um, He's sad because his wife is cheating on him with another clown, which don't you hate it when that happens. Um, I'm gonna show you guys a clip from Pagliacci. It's in Italian, so you're not gonna understand the words. It's only like two minutes though, so, so try to bear it. Um, And what I want you to do, I want you to listen, and I want you to try to feel the emotions that are coming through in this clip. Can you do that for me? Okay, I see some nods. Good. Uh, Sound room, take it away. Roll it.
What did you guys think of that? Just like initial like feedback, thoughts. You could feel, yeah. His, you said his angst, or his pain. You could feel his pain. Yeah. What emotions? What feelings came through with that? Despair. Hurt. Sadness. Hopelessness. Heartbreak. Right. All that, and you guys don't even speak Italian but you feel it, you feel it in the music. Here are the lyrics from that clip. <clears throat> so these, these are the exact same words that Pavarotti was singing, um, only translated to English. I'm not going to sing it, don't worry. Um, put on your costume and apply makeup to your face. The people pay and they want to laugh, and if Harlequin runs away with Columbina, laugh clown, and everyone will applaud. Turn the spasms and tears into jokes, the tears and pain into grimaces. Laugh, clown, your love is broken. Laugh of the pain that poisons your heart. Doesn't quite land the same in English, does it? No, it's, it's missing a lot. Because Pagliacci wasn't written to be read in English. It is a song, an opera, written to be heard, to be sung with feeling. When we read Song of Songs in English, centuries removed from the context, uh, with no music and no feeling, of course we don't get this book. Of course we kind of giggle and like, ooh, the couch is green. Like, of course we do. Of course we do. We're not hearing it as it was intended. Now, unfortunately, we don't know exactly what Song of Songs would have sounded like. The notation that they used back then, if it existed uh, at all, it didn't survive, but there are some contemporary musicians, some bands, um, that have started singing the Song of Songs again. They sing it in Hebrew, and they use instrumentation that's, it's modern instruments, but it's closer to what they might have had. Do you guys want to hear what that sounds like? Yeah. Yes, it's the next slide, so we don't have a choice. Um, <laughs> for, for this next one, I, I want you to imagine that you are in ancient Israel at a wedding reception, and the band starts to play a familiar tune. Roll it. Maim rabim lo yachlu lechabot Maim rabim lo yachlu
think of that? It's amazing. That's yeah. That's cool. Yes, it's really cool. It's better, right? Like it lands a lot better. Other other thoughts, emotion, emotions, feelings you felt off of that song made you happy. Yeah, it makes you want to dance. It's romantic. It's a love song. This is a love song. We might be quick to judge um, or dismiss or even avoid Song of Songs, but it's because we don't get it. That's because we're not hearing it as it was originally intended. Um, a lot of our music today, right, talks about stuff like relationships, romance, sex. It's all over popular music. It's part of being human. We are not all that different from the ancients. They cared about the same stuff as us. And the Bible is a collection of books that speak to us about God's involvement in human life. Of course there's going to be romance. Of course it's going to talk about sex. That would be a huge oversight if that stuff was omitted. So with what we have left, the time we've got left, I want to show you guys, I want to give you a little glimpse of the wisdom of this book. What I, what I really think this book is getting at, and I've called it Healing the Riffs. Um, this is like the backdrop of, of Song of Songs. I want you to have this in your mind as you read this book. Whenever we read the Bible, it's always a really good idea to look for repeating themes, right? Um, if we notice language, ideas, um, stories that seem to repeat themselves, that's probably important. Like if you're reading the Gospels and you notice something that reminds you of another story earlier in the Bible, follow that thread. That means something. Song of Songs depicts two lovers, a man and a woman. And, And where are they located again? What's the context? A garden. Now, do we have any other stories in the Bible about a man and a woman in a garden who happen to be naked? Adam and Eve, right? It's page two, page two of the Bible. Um, In Genesis chapter two, we meet a guy named Adam. Now, um, if you've, he did not look like that probably. Um, (laughs) If you've been around this church for a while, uh, if you were in our How Not to Read the Bible class, or if you've sat in on some small groups with me, you've seen this before, I'm about to show you, but it's it's review and it's important, that's okay. Um, In addition to being a name, Adam is also a word. Does anyone know or remember, what does the Hebrew word Adam mean? Hum- humanity or human being, right? Adam is the Hebrew word for humanity. So when we read the story of Adam, we are reading the story of humanity. 
And according to Genesis, humanity exists in this series of relationships. There are four relationships highlighted in Genesis. Adam exists in relationship with God. That's the vertical arrow. Uh, Adam and God hang out in the garden. They go for strolls together, right? Um, Adam also exists in relationship to the earth, creation. Uh, Adam works creation. He's told to tend to it, to steward it, to care for it. Um, Adam also exists in relationship with his spouse, Eve. Um, Eve's name means life, by the way. So we're reading the story of human life. Um, And usually, I I need to say, when I I draw this picture normally, I I label this right-hand side one, um, other people, to make it more broad. For Song of Solomon, though, I think it kind of works to make it spouse slash partner. Uh, You can maybe think friend, companion, if you want to broaden this out a little bit. But then last but not least, Adam exists in relationship with himself. We're told that humanity and life, the man and the woman, are naked, but they feel no shame. Strong Song of Songs vibes, by the way. To be human is to exist in this relational matrix. And in the beginning, Genesis 2, these relationships were perfect. Humanity exists in a perfect relationship with God, creation, the self, and other people. But in Genesis 3, all of that crumbles. It all falls apart. Uh, Adam and Eve break the one rule God gave them. They eat from the one tree in the garden they were told not to eat from, and immediately they feel shame. And what do they do? They cover their bodies, right? So that perfect relationship to the self, gone. God looks for Adam and Eve in the garden, and they hide from God. They're afraid to face God. This God they've taken strolls with, that perfect relationship with God is broken. God confronts Adam and says, why are you hiding? Who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the tree I told you not to eat from? And immediately, what does Adam do? He blames Eve. He throws his his wife, his spouse, his partner under the bus. It was her, that woman you sent me. She gave it to me and I ate. That bond of trust, intimacy, companionship shattered. And then last but not least, as a consequence of their sin, God banishes Adam and Eve from the garden. You guys can't stay here anymore. It's not safe for you. You're going to have to venture out. You're going to have to work the land, and it's going to be hard work. All four relationships broken. This is the Bible's understanding of human nature, like in a nutshell, in an image. To be human is to exist in these relationships, this relational network, and to struggle with the reality that all of them are broken. There's a rift on each of these levels. The Bible, by the way, calls that rift sin. When we talk about sin, we're talking about anything that erodes our relationship with God, ourselves, other people, or the earth. That's all sin is. Jesus came to conquer sin, by the way. That's what this cross is about. Um, The Bible tells the story of God healing these rifts through Jesus. God sends Jesus not only to restore the vertical, our connection with God, that's important, 
But Jesus also conquers these other sides. Jesus uh, calms storms, right? Creation obeys him. He restores outsiders to community. Broken relationships are put back together. He uh, restores ourselves, our sense of shame. And he offers his life to reconcile us with God. This is the story. This is the why of our faith. This is what the season of Lent is all about. I would even argue this is the gospel. Whenever anyone asks me, you know, what is the gospel? What's the core of our faith? What is it you believe? I'll often get out like a pen and paper and start drawing this picture because this kind of sums it up. And the good news is about how Jesus came to heal these rifts. The Bible has a lot to say on all four fronts, and often in church we focus on the vertical one, us and God, which is important. But Song of Songs puts the focus on that relational part to other people, spouses, partners, friends, companions. When we read these poems about a man and a woman in a garden who are naked and unashamed, it is calling us back, beckoning us to that Genesis 1 ideal. All four of these wings, by the way, are connected. Because as human beings, we're holistic creatures. If something is out of whack on one front, it's going to affect the others. We can't compartmentalize things as much as we try. Um, if, if there's something off in your relationship with God, it's going to affect the other, the other realms and vice versa. At the same time, if we grow on any one of these fronts, there's going to be fruit across the others. Um, as a church, like First Baptist, we talk a lot about wanting to see the world through God's eyes, right? See other people like God sees them. Um, marriage is an opportunity to practice that. Every day I have the opportunity to see my wife, to see Aaron through God's eyes, um, to love her with that same unconditional love I know God has for her. I don't always get it right. I fail to love Aaron all the time, but it is a practice. I practice seeing her through God's eyes every day, and I get a little bit better at it. Eventually, I start seeing other people through God's eyes, our kids, uh, neighbors, people in the congregation, enemies. That's how it works. That's why these are connected. All these relation, relational fronts are an opportunity to grow in holiness, because it's all connected. For the next six weeks, we're going to be diving into Song of Songs. We're going to explore the mystery and the wisdom of human love, uh, intimacy, des desire, friendship, partnership, sexuality, and we are doing it with the hope that it's going to draw us closer to God and to each other. That's the game plan for this series. Uh, I want to encourage you, and I forgot to bring my bulletin up with me, take a look at the Going Deeper section for this week on the sermon notes page in your bulletin. We give you that every week. There's some homework in there I want to highly encourage you to do, going back and reading Genesis, taking a little tour of Song of Songs. I want to encourage you to try that this week, and I want to invite you to join us on these next six weeks through Lent as we explore some racy love poetry that is about way more than sex. Let's pray. God, guide us through this series um, on a book and a topic that uh, we don't often talk about in church, Lord. Use the Song of Songs to strengthen our relationship with each other and our relationship with you.
Give me wisdom, Lord, as I seek to um, unpack this book in a way um, that is sensitive. Uh, Give me lips to speak the words you'd have me say, and give us uh, hearts to receive. Be with us in this season of Lent, God, as we journey together toward the cross. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.